The following podcast is hashtag Boone approved. It's time for another edition of the Brett Boone Podcast. Remember when me and you almost went to blows? Lou oh, yeah. sent me down three times too, so I know what you're talking about. With your host, MLB All-Star, Brett Boone. Bottom line is, you will become a successful major league hitter by hitting pitcher's mistakes. As he sits down with his sports and entertainment friends from around the world. You are not going to be a successful major league hitter if you hit pitcher's pitch. This isn't just any former jocks podcast. To change the outcome, you got to change the income. You got to change what goes in. And that changes what goes out. Often duplicated, but never replicated. Just like his bat flip. Okay, now the party starts. The responsibility starts now. Now in its fourth year, this is the one and only Brett Boone Podcast. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with the AL 1988 Rookie of the Year and a Baltimore Orioles Hall of Famer. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Greg Olson. Greg, thanks for coming on the program. What's up? My pleasure. Nothing, man. Great to be on with you. What are you doing? You're doing some Oriole games this year? You're doing some college baseball? Give me the, give me yeah. the lowdown. Uh, I got... Had a half a dozen Orioles games last year, hoping for somewhat close, maybe a little bit more. So I'll do that with Masson up in uh, Baltimore, doing ESPN College Baseball. I'll do most of that from my house. So ESPN has amazing kit that they send out, and I hook it up and do college baseball sitting in my living room and then uh, go sit on the couch after the game and not have to worry about traveling, which is kind of nice. Let's see. Um I'll do a little bit of ESPN radio, MLB stuff towards the end of the season. Did a couple of playoff series the last couple of years at Arizona, Milwaukee last year. So doing that. And then I'm teaching at Auburn University right now and got a class in uh, about two hours. I'll keep it short. I'll keep it under two yeah, hours. Beautiful. All right. Ole, Mount Rushmore of movies or TV shows for you? Sports, sports themed. Uh, okay. With Carl Weathers just passing, the Rocky, you know, Apollo Creed, I was just thinking about this. I thought it'd be a good topic, uh, and it's going to seg me, seg me, <laughs> segue me into the next next uh, segment. Mount Rushmore. All could right. be a movie, uh, could be a TV show, baseball, football, whatever you want. Sports-oriented. Easy ones, Hoosiers. I would be remiss if I didn't do a Rocky, and I'm not going yes, to. Yes, about, about to go, about to go into one, two, three, four, or five. Um, Hoosiers got to do Field of Dreams, and then okay. uh, I probably would say the Natural, but you know, every time I every time I'm watching for the love of the game, I'm always entranced, you know, by just as close as it's gotten to, you know, fairly real major league baseball, Bull Durham. I mean, I, I can, I can go on and on. I, I, I didn't say four, my bad. So now we just got a big old mountain full of uh, movies. It's tough to pick the Rushmore for me. I put bad news bears and breaking training. That's my favorite. And, right. I, and I think most, and I think most realistic, I, I thought Bull Durham was pretty good because if you look at the how we lived in the minor leagues, eh, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. The only thing is they they'd pull in like at night, the night before. That never happened because no team was ever whipping out for a night at the hotel. We'd show up the day of the game or in the middle of the night. So that I, you could always pick out some unrealistic things. Reason I bring it up. All right, Oli. 
the pitch 2016 you're on set yeah. it was it was a fox show uh and you were kind of the teaching them how to look the part i'm guessing is that what it was yeah a lot of it yeah i got uh they had one of the pitching gurus from la that was working with the three main actors and something happened with um the main actress kylie and this guy something right i mean right before they went to uh shooting the pilot down in uh petco park and so I got a call the night before. Hey, can you come down, be the pitching coach on set? And I was like, I was walking into a world, man, I have never imagined, ever seen. And I come walking in and I'm working with Kylie Bunbury, a, a you know, fabulous actress, um, MP Gosseler, Mo McRae were the, the, the three main actors. And I got them and, and they, 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 they threw, um, they looked like they threw well. And then when we got into the batting cages and I had the, the two guys, MP and Mo McCray playing catch, dude, it was, it was a spray chart. I mean, it was, I mean, balls were not being caught. They were being picked up, thrown to the next guy, picked up, you know, cause it was no back and forth. It was, it was fun. But then I, I spent, uh, I think we did it for like six months and I'd walk around and I was like, I figured out that Hollywood has to have somebody in the background of everything. So I'll wreck everybody's commercials and everybody's movies. You will never see an actor and an actress sitting there without people walking by. They have to send people walking by. And so I spent most of the time going, all right, we got this scene here. What can the, uh, what can the extra baseball players be doing out in the outfield right now? And I was like, nothing. The game's about to start nothing there's there's not 10 people standing in a circle talking out in right field and they're like well we got to have somebody back there i was like no you don't and i was like no don't put them out there and i mean they're and the extras have no idea about baseball so they're standing out there doing whoever knows what and most of the time and then i'd you know we'd do a scene and i'd look over in the left fielder's got his hands on his knees like little league Right, and I'd have to go. I'd have to go running from first base dugout all the way out to left field to go, dude. This is what we're doing. Do not stand out here with your hands on your knees. They don't play like that. And I'd go running back, and then I'd be fixing people's uniforms as they come out of the club. <laughs> it was it was a it was a blast. It really was. And and as I said, the actors were were fabulous to me. It was it was it was a great time. It was just a world that I have never imagined. <clears throat> As and I guess you're probably like me a little bit when you watch a baseball movie. We look for the nuances and we go, "That's not right. That's not how we do it." And, and it doesn't piss you off, but it kind of bothers you. Like I, a baseball movie, I think I can close my eyes and think, "Okay, they're going to put tobacco in everybody's mouth and have them awkwardly spit because that's what baseball players do," and it drives me crazy. Now, being on the set in your capacity where you're there to teach these people how to walk, how to talk, how to have the mannerisms of a big leaguer, that would be kind of a challenge and kind of fun. But as the as the onlooker, I'll give you this. It's, it's like uh, I just got drafted. I, I played at USC, and they were doing this, this, uh, this movie called Mr. Baseball. 
And it's got to be yeah. around right around 1990, where Tom Selleck's the star. <clears throat> and Frank Thomas has already been the rookie of the year in the big leagues, and he's the other star in the show. Well, I get a call from Doug DeCenses, who was probably doing a yeah. Greg Olson role in the pitch. He was the kind of the talent coordinator. And he called me up, and, you know, I'm in A-ball. I just finished my A-ball season. He says, Booney, uh, we're we're shooting a, shooting a movie at your old alma mater at SC. Would you come down and be an extra? I need some guys that can look professional. I need you to field balls at short and field balls at second. Yeah. So we get the actions right. And I said, well, how much are you going to pay me? Of course, that's my first question. He tells me, I said, I'll come down there for that. I was on that set only two days and I walked off. I couldn't handle it. I've got the director yelling at me. He's got no idea about the game of baseball, how it works, anything. I've got Frank Thomas, who I'm an A-ball. Nobody knows who I am at this point. Frank Thomas is treating me like I'm I'm this the water boy. And I got the director screaming at me when I'm turning two that I'm not turning two right. And I got the senseis over there going, Booney, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I got Tom Selleck walking around the set, actually thinks he's a he's a baseball player. Like he thought he was a big league baseball player. And I got all this going on. And at the end of the day, it wasn't worth it. I threw my <laughs> threw all my equipment to the sensei and said you can have this shit i'm going home that was my experience on set that's pretty good um yeah i was i thankfully i got lucky so the, <laughs> the, the the whole the whole padres team other than the three actors had played minor league baseball we had two guys that actually had cups of coffee and so i didn't have to do anything with the home team nothing they knew what they were doing you know they they put an actor that they were introducing into the series at third base. And I kid you not, I'm supposed to throw ground balls hard. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not really good with fungos. And, and so I'm throwing stuff. And so I'm throwing him ground balls. And I realized that if I throw it at his body, it's going to hit him. And so I'm, I'm throwing stuff just off to the side, both ways. He's not getting to anything. And it's like he's supposed to be having this horrible game at third base. And then one of the one of the set one of the directors or somebody comes walking over and he goes, "Hey, uh, the main producer wants you to throw a line drive by his head." And I went, "Huh?" And he goes, "No, just throw it by his head. Don't hit him, but throw it really hard by his head." I'm at I'm at like thirty feet, forty feet. I'm going, "All right, I can do that." And I throw one, throw two, you know, they're, they're by him. I mean, it's, if I threw it at his face, it hits him in the face. And the guy comes back out five minutes later after they've been shooting this scene. And he goes, he wants you to throw it harder. I'm going, the guy's going to get killed. And he goes, they don't, they don't care. Just throw it harder. And I throw it harder. He gets a glove on it and it dislocates his shoulder. He goes down in a lump. I go walking off. I'm going, I did what I was supposed to do, I guess. I, I mean, is that what you guys wanted to see? He dislocated his shoulder. He's laying there at third base now. <laughs> I, I don't get it. The Hollywood thing, it cracks me up because they really, it, they, it's like they got no clue on, no. on what they're doing as far as any, any form of reality. There just isn't any. Okay. Fun opening segment. Um, pitchers and catchers here, uh, reported recently. 
I remember when I was a young player, man, I couldn't get to wait spring. I couldn't wait to get mm-hmm. to spring training. I'm, and back then it's like, they didn't want you coming early. It was like, no, you come on your reporting date, but as a young <laughs> player, and, and it's probably, you know, for all of us, we're young, we're eager, we're bright eyed, bushy tailed, and we want to get to spring early and get, get our locker set up. Yeah. By the time you're a salty veteran, it's kind of like, all right, when's spring training at? But there's always been the debate, pitchers and catchers. Pitchers always report early. Uh, I want a pitcher's perspective. Why is it necessary? Do you need more time than the hitters? Uh, I don't know if we need more time. I mean, I I think this is another one of those older baseball uh, moves. You know, I mean, back in 70s, 60s, guys had jobs and had to come down, and they really had not done any throwing and needed, uh, you know, that extra week of throwing to be prepared for the spring training games to start. I mean, it's, I think it's what, by the time you guys get there a week later, it's maybe two bullpens of 25 pitches. It's, it's not a whole lot. And then running around and and then going to play golf is all it is, but I don't think it's completely necessary. I, I mean, most of the time after I got hurt with Baltimore, I spent the next probably eight spring trainings going down fighting for a job. And so when I walked into camp on Valentine's day, I was locked and loaded. I was I was ready for spring training games. I was as close to, you know, a season form as I could get because I knew I was going to be watched and fighting for a job every day. So I don't think it's completely necessary. But in today's world of arm injuries and everything else, I guess the sooner you guys get, you know, they get into camp and are being maintained and watched and getting ready, the, probably the better. Yeah, and I think you're right, too. I think a lot of that goes way back to back in the day when, like you said, guys weren't coming into spring training. Today, the athlete 24-7, they're coming in a a finished product. These guys aren't just getting out of shape in the offseason. They get in shape once spring training starts. That that, That's kind of over and done with. These guys are training around the clock. So you come in. The only thing I noticed when I was started to train 12 months a year was – I'd get to spring training. I still needed baseball reps. You know, I could do yeah. all the weight room and all the sprint work I wanted to do, but putting a pair of spikes on and working around the bag, it took me a few days to get my legs under me. I, I don't think you can recreate that away from the state of game speed activity when we're in the moment. I think that had to be something that was that was there. But I think you're right. It goes back to back in the day when they did need that much time. Uh, yeah. I think today's athlete doesn't need it, but you know, Florida and Arizona, you're going to get a pretty big fight if you start trying to shorten things on them from an economic standpoint. Very good point. No, you're absolutely right. And, and, uh, and what you said about the legs thing, absolutely right. It didn't, I jokingly said after I, I got a couple of years in the big leagues, I jokingly said that I'm going to spend January standing out in my front yard in spikes and sitting down in the, you know, hosing down the grass and getting it all wet and then sitting down there and stretching in it and then standing out in the yard for three hours and spikes and simulating me out there shagging BP. I never did it, but I, I thought it would be good, you know, preparation for spring training of where I was going to be out in the outfield for three hours shagging and I was going to be all wet from stretching. So it was like, all right, how do I simulate this? Put some spikes on, go stand out in the yard for three hours and just walk around. Just walk Walk around. Arizona or Florida? I I, I have a feeling what the answer is going to be, but I, I I like getting different perspective. I like Arizona. 
I liked Arizona. It was, uh, I mean, it was absolutely different than, than Florida. Weather might be a little bit better. Arizona might get a little bit colder early on, but I kind of like the steady, the steady weather of Arizona over some of the storms that would blow in in Florida. You know, you know what I found weird about I, I, in my career, I probably had equal time. I probably had equal time in Arizona, half the time in Arizona and half my spring trainings were in Florida. The thing that was different about Florida that I never understood when we'd get up, we get to the yard, we got an away game. So if we, if we were on the road today and we were in the lineup, I'd come in full uni. No, no, no. I'd get to the ballpark in my street clothes. I would get on the bus in my street clothes with my baseball bag. I'd dress at the facility. I'd shower at the facility and put my street clothes back on to get back on the bus. In Arizona, not one time did I ever do that. I get to the ballpark. I get dressed. We hit BP at home. We get on the bus in our uniform, and then we come back in our uniform, and we never showered. Did you have that experience, Florida, Arizona? Um, Florida, yeah, I mean, Florida was like the nearest team was Pittsburgh when I was with Baltimore, and they were 30 minutes Raiden away, team. so we, we yeah. would do that. And then the other places, it would be like a two-hour, three-hour bus trip and, and leave dirt early and, and – go do everything at the field. Um, yeah, Arizona, everything, everything was pretty close. We were in Tucson when I was with the Diamondbacks. So a lot of our games were up in Phoenix, two-hour drives. Um, I don't – I think I was in street clothes. Yeah, I'm changed at the ballpark and then jumped on the bus coming back. I mean, when I got to be a big leaguer and, and Cal took me under his wing, then he would drive everywhere and – he would kind of sit around and wait for me to finish my, my little spot and in whatever inning. And then we'd take off in the car and leave after the game. And so I, I didn't have a whole lot of, you know, bus trips because Cal had, uh, had a, a really nice program set up. That is good. We, the only thing I remember about Arizona is we, we'd have the bus in our, our, uh, Traveling secretary, he'd wait for us. And yeah, when when you guys going to be out? They get from the skipper when when we're going to be out of lineup fifth inning. There'll be a little minivan take us back, get us out of there. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. Arizona, uh, completely different for me than Florida. I enjoyed Arizona much better. Everything, like you said, it's not like the weather's completely different. But I think if you got to give the nod, Arizona's got a little bit better weather for some reason. It seems yeah. like there's a little more wind in Florida. I have no idea. Yeah. All right, going into the AL East, uh, who you got this year? It'd be, uh, it'd be hard to be uh, not looking at the Orioles. Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, the Yankees are always there. Red Sox are always there. Uh, you just kind of look around, and it's it's just such a dogfight every year. But I, I feel like the Orioles got some momentum about a year and a half ago, you know, and it's kind of the date that Rushman came up was the date that things kind of turning around a year and a half ago and, uh, or two years ago. Um, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to think with, you know, what the moves that they made, I think they'd be in a decent spot. I, I look at the Orioles, what they did last year. And, and I thought, I think it's not only great for baseball, but I think it's, uh, 
obviously great for the city of Baltimore. It's been, it's been a while. It's been a minute yeah. that you've been relevant. I mean, that's been a lot of seller dwelling for them, especially in that division. That's been so competitive now with the equal, equal uh, balance schedules where you don't play within your division, like you used to and beat each other up. It's a different animal. So it doesn't matter what division you are, the way the playoffs scheme is set up, but still last year they won 101 games and you know, people started to pay attention. It's almost like the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks have not been really relevant for a while. All of a sudden, they were on a national stage and were a couple games away from winning the World Series. Um, Talk to me about this Oriole team. I know, and the thing I'm looking at going into 2024, and it's a huge part of that bullpen, the back end of that bullpen, because it is a power bullpen. But your biggest power guy is Bautista, and he's going to be out. I know you've gone out and and made an adjustment, brought Kimbrell in, probably as a stopgap until Bautista's ready. But just top to bottom, go over the Orioles a year ago, how they did it. Because I don't know they necessarily surprised everybody, the the, the teams that were on the ground watching them. You know, my brother in New York, he'd say, yeah. Brett, this Orioles team's for real. So those guys, you know, the players uh, – the opponents they're seeing what maybe not everybody else is seeing someone like you doing the games on a daily basis. Maybe it wasn't a surprise to you, but the Orioles to come out and win 101 games, I think it kind of shocked the baseball world a little bit last year. Well, I mean, everybody was always talking about the the metrics and the numbers and the staff ERA and everything else. And it was like, yeah, it's kind of average. It's not, you know, they're not putting up huge numbers. They were in the middle of the pack and ERA. Um, And I think, they addressed a little bit of that with with the burn signing or the trade and right. getting a number getting a number one because I was I was you know having watched him I was a little concerned that when they got into the playoffs and you started to run into the top end pitching that it was going to be a dogfight and I didn't know if their pitching was going to hold up and it didn't um, starting wise and then you lose Batista who is unbelievable in the ninth inning. They put Cano back there, which is the obvious move. He was an unbelievable eighth-inning guy. I like the Kimbrel signing, and as you said, it's probably a stopgap for a year. They did, um, a lot, you know, kind of similar with me. I blew my elbow at 93, and they get Lee Smith in for a year the, the next year. Uh, I don't know, you know, Batista, I'm sure Batista will come back. That, that surgery and injury is not as uh, severe as it was when, when I did it. So, and I think, hate to say it, but I mean, Cano showed he's more of an eighth inning guy. And it's, there's, we've had decades of those guys that were great eighth inning guys. And then when the ninth inning guy gets moved on, because they're like, well, this guy's cheaper and doing the same thing. Just find out that being that last dude in the line, there, it ain't that easy, you know? And I had a lot of really good eighth inning guys and, and they weren't ninth inning guys. And so there's a lot to be said to having Batista behind Cano and making that bullpen lock dead after, you know, after seven innings. And now with Batista out and see, you know, Kimbrell can pick up that spot, put Cano back in the eighth. And that was their strength. They were able to play a seven inning game and they were able to, you know, had a couple of middle guys, Cologne, um, Perez were all solid piece by piece guys that could get them through the sixth and their starters only had to do, you know, five innings. Uh, you mentioned Rushman. It seemed like when he got to the big leagues, you, you said you saw a, saw a change in Baltimore in the, in 
on the field, especially, does he have that effect? Kind of, you know, I'm trying to look at a bit of comparison uh, to Adley that's come along recently. I think of like kind of like a Buster Posey comes yeah. to San Francisco and he's a game changer. And and from the from the bottom up, it's kind of it, not only what he adds offensively. I think what a year ago he hit 20 and 80 as a young player. That's pretty good. And yeah. uh, but but it's more than that. It's handling a rotation. It's being that that kind of go-to guy on the field, that leader. You know, not in not in uh, things you say, but how you go about your business. Total package. Talk about Rushman and and a Gunner Henderson, who's been a real interesting guy to me from the beginning. How athletic he, he is. Uh, talk about their two those two guys and and their careers going forward. Well, I mean, Rush, Rushman and, and the Orioles have the numbers from the, the, the minute he came up. The, the whole record is unbelievable for the Orioles. And they were out of it by, you know, almost by the time that he came up. And he comes up May 20th or May 22nd, something like that, and really switched things around. Having a, a, a catcher like that, I mean, honestly, like your dad, of just the stable, solid influenced controlling the game and then to do what you know rushman did with the 20 and 80 there's just a lot to having a dude behind the plate that will calm everything down in the minute that it starts to explode uh walks out to the mound basically a timeout basically a pitching coach saying the exact things that i need to hear in the moment that you know I, i'm teetering between being really bad that night or getting things back on track. And it's a, it's a one or two pitch window to get it done. And he's that guy, he's that guy in the clubhouse too. And then um, you talk about Gunnar Henderson, he was supposed to uh, had a conversation with him and his parents. And he was, you know, thinking that he might turn down the draft and come to Auburn and play. And I was like, dude, you cannot do that. I was like, you got to get this thing started. I had, um, uh, when I was doing games, Showalter was my manager in Arizona. And so I'd come in and, and we'd be talking. And it was two years before. And he said, we got to have a shortstop in the second round. And I was just curious. I was like, well, you know, it's got to be a college guy. He goes, we really have no shortstops in the chain. And it was it was a fascinating theory because the previous regime had really drafted corner outfielders and corner infielders and looking for the bats and they had no real true shortstop. And I was telling Gunner, I was like, dude, there's nobody in the organization that's going to stop you from running up if you do anything. And uh, man, he ran up quick and rookie of the year last year. So thankfully I lost that mantle. Um, I think we were running on one of the last teams to, or I was one of the oldest rookie of the years, I guess. I don't know what it was, but. It and was I think still only reliever to ever win it. I was one of them. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, I think Warrell won it in the national oh, league. I might be the only, Amer I might be the only American league, um, uh, rookie relief pitcher. Right. But yeah, those, those young guys have been great. Uh, they did a really nice job with drafting those guys early, getting them in the system and then, you know, going against what major league baseball has been doing a lot recently, which is keeping guys down. So their clock doesn't start. Yeah. The politics of baseball, you, you talk about and, and you know, only I, my whole life as a, you know, 
I'm a second baseman. I don't really look. I, I look at what are you doing for me offensively. I, I really didn't appreciate And you mentioned my dad. I really didn't appreciate the catchers and their what's important as much as I do now. And it took me being away from the game to appreciate. I had a Dan Wilson in, in Seattle, and what a great job he was. What, what a great job he did running that pitching staff. The, the catching position for me now, big picture, is going, wait a minute. Who's the most important person on a daily basis? That starting pitcher. How, what kind of frame of mind do I want my starting pitcher? Well, first of all, I want him to be happy with who he's throwing to. If I can yeah. keep him happy, I'm coming to the ballpark with a completely different mind frame than if I've got a catcher that, man, I just don't sync up with. We're not, we don't see eye to eye. We're not on the same page. It seems like I got two jobs today, but the guys I've talked to and the pitchers I've talked to that really work well with a catcher and seem like you're on the same page, man, it just takes so much and remove so much extra things you have to worry about than just getting in there and getting it out. Explain your experience with, with, uh, in your career, having a catcher that you saw eye to eye with that, man, it was, it was a walk in the park. We were yin and yang. And then I'm sure throughout your journey, cause you played a lot of different places. You had those catchers where, Oh man, we just don't see it. We don't, he can't put the right finger down. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was scouting for the Padres and like, the late 2008, 9, 10, 11, I was watching somebody, I can't think of who it was with the Cubs. And I knew it. I, I could just see that there was like three shakes to get to his pitch. And by the second inning, he was beyond frustrated, probably didn't last another inning or two innings because he's just sitting there going, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. And then it's like, how many mound visits can you have to talk to your catcher? It's it's frustrating. I, I I was lucky. I had some really good guys. I had Bob Melvin, Mickey Tettleton, Chris Hoyles. Um, my favorite one with Hoyles, and we were you know pretty much on the same page. Was I was in Boston, and I make a mess out of the ninth inning. And it's a one run lead, and I got bases loaded. Uh, Brunanski comes up, and he had just won the al player of the month for hitting 600 in june or something and it's july 1st so we're still there and he comes up in the ninth inning and i, I get three two count and he fouls off a fastball straight back and he's right on time and i'm like if i had the balls to throw a curveball right here with the tie and run at third base i'd vapor lock him and then i start going well i might vapor lock the umpire um so I'm, I'm counting on the umpire to call it a strike. I'm counting on myself to land what was a 50-50 pitch. And I was like, man, if I had the balls, though, that would, that, that, that it'd be over. There's nothing. He's not swinging. He's, you know, he's going to flinch. And I stood there and I was like, I, then Hoyle's put down two. And I sat there and I was like, I love you, dude, but I still don't have the guts to throw this pitch. <laughs> so and you shook him. But yeah, I shook him. I threw a fastball, and Brunanski ends up flying out to deep center and game over. But it was just like, and I gave him a hug after the game. I was like, dude, I love you. Just the guts that you have for calling that pitch. Um, there's a lot, man, with the way catching is now. If I had a catcher that wouldn't get to a corner, you know, and give me a good target on a corner, then I'm, I'm, my target's kind of like hypothetical space, you know, where I'm trying to the top of a knee pad or, you know, some spot on the umpire's leg. And it, that's not good targets. And so there, there are some catchers that 
were more offensive and didn't want to move to sides of the plate and give me a good target. So I'm not going to be as good because I'm sitting there. All right, let's see. That kind of looks like it might be the outside corner on that piece of thing on the umpire's leg. Yeah, that'll work. Doesn't work. So there's a there really is a lot to the catcher and what he brings and stability, uh, the confidence for the pitchers. You know, it, it's almost it's almost like for me, and it took me time to realize this too, because early in my career, my my first <clears throat> double play combo partner was Omar Vizquel. My second was Barry Larkin, and we and we were together for five years. <clears throat> and we get to the ballpark, and people had no idea. It was like our relationship in the middle. I trusted him so much. He trusted me so much and enabled us to make the unbelievable play, take the huge risk. Cause I knew I could go deep in the hole spin, just fired. As long as I got it somewhere close to second base, Barry was going to have the foot worth correct, <clears throat> grab the ball, make me look good and probably turn the double play. Now moving on in my career and a few stops, I ran into short stops that didn't have that. And all of a sudden, it's like, if I don't put it right in your chest, you're not going to turn this double play or you, the ball might go flying by you. So now I've got to be picture perfect. It changed my whole game and how I play. I couldn't free, you know, I couldn't be yeah. this free, freewheeling guy that trusted his partner. And then I thought that probably is a lot like the pitcher and the catcher, like you with Hoyles. It's like, man, he's got the balls to call that. He thinks I can do it. Now, maybe the next time you're in that situation and he calls it, you go ahead and throw it. And yeah. you're on the same page. So it's, uh, you know, I, I thought that would be the best scenario. Probably the the closest thing I witnessed to, to what it's like to be that pitcher-catcher relationship. And you come into the ballpark, especially being a starter, just saying, man, I love my catcher and, and we got a big gate today. I don't have my best stuff, but I got my partner with me for where I don't have my best stuff to get me through in your situation that inning. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe. I think you did a great job with it of just being comfortable to relax and do things that you're capable of, but not necessarily the normal. Um, but the catcher, I mean, for a starting pitcher, Man, the relationship that you got, knowing okay, I don't, you starting pitchers are going to have their just normal stuff six out of ten times. They're going to have great stuff twice. They're going to have you know nothing two days out of the ten. And so those six games, you're out there fighting and trying to figure out how to get guys out. And the catcher has worked with you so often. He knows what you like. He knows what you're comfortable with. And then he's also got a really good aspect on the hitter which is the other dimension of, okay, what am I comfortable with? What am I good at? And what doesn't the hitter do well? And how do I, you know, how do we go about carving, you know, you up and knowing, okay, here's where I can go, but that's not my strength. So how can I get to my strength? And it's going to run into your strength half the time. And when you have a dude sitting behind the plate, that's thinking with you and thinking as much as you are about, you know, this at bat and where we're going to go to the next pitch. It's, uh it's hard to describe. So Rushman this year, he's going to have, as you mentioned at the top, he made the big trade for Burns. Um, let's go through the starting rotation for the Orioles this year. Tell me what, what are the keys? Who are you got your eye 
Aon to see the you know what it, what a year more makes a year more of experience makes. Who who do you look for big uh, strides and and what are the keys for that Oriole team if they want to finish top of that division because it's still a tough division. You know you got the Yankees who got a little bit better. It's all health with them. Uh, you got the Blue Jays who are really good. Uh, you got the Red Sox. I don't know what they're doing these days, but they're really not making improve <laughs> like the Red Sox normally do. And then you got the Rays who. The Rays, who are unbelievable, just year in and year out, they're like they're like the unicorn of baseball. I don't know. They, they lost Glass now, and I'm trying to think. They lost McClanahan, who was going to be the Cy Young Award winner a year ago. He's out to Tommy John. Glass now goes to the Dodgers. But somehow, some way, the Rays will be competitive again like they always are. What's the key for that starting rotation? Uh, you know what? Grayson Rodriguez to, to take the next step, I think. Um, you know, he had a pretty decent season. Really, they sent him down, I believe, in May, and he came back up, better command of his cut fastball, started using that behind in the count and getting back into counts instead of attacking somebody, you know, 1-0, 2-1, 2-0 with here's a four-seam fastball and have at it. Um, if he makes a step to, you know, being the number two to Burns, I, th I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot because you're, you're sitting there, you're looking at Kramer, you got Bradish. They got rid of Gibson, who was fifteen. You know, fifteen games. Um, it was just you know a whole lot of guys that not overwhelming stuff. I think Kramer did a nice job, and he he's got a chance to get better with with more work. But I just think it's it was going into the season last year. It was you know five guys that hadn't distinguished themselves in the past, and then Rodriguez being you know a rookie coming in. Um, trying to man in a pennant race and he's trying to figure out how to get guys out at the big league level. That's, it was a big ask. And I think if he makes the jump, it, it's going to be a pretty solid one, two combination with him and Burns. Talk to me about means. He's a guy years ago. I looked to and say, this guy's going to be a future hall of famer or at, not, well, let's not get ahead of myself, not necessarily a hall of famer, but a future number one ace force in the Cy Young candidate or in the Cy Young race year in and year out. Talking about means, what do you expect from him this year? I think, you know, he got back into it a little bit, um, you know, and that's, that's a big step. What would you get back in August? Um, that's a big step coming off of Tommy John surgery. And I, I, I look for him to probably get everything settled in to start the season. I don't know if they're going to have him on much of a pitch count or a short leash. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they try to limit the innings this season or at least the first half of the season. But he's, his, he's one of those guys that I could never figure it out that he can throw a change up at any time to anybody and make them look bad. And you, you sit there and you look at it, and Booney, you were a hitter. I mean, I sit there and look at it, I'm going, how do you do that? They, they know it's coming. And it's 10 miles an hour slower, and it's got a little bit of action on it. But I, I was, you know, when I threw one, I was just trying to throw it at the knees, bottom of the zone, get you to hit a ground ball and leave. And he gets swing throughs with that thing, pitches up in the zone. I mean, even the changeup plays up, which is bizarre to me. Well, it's from a hitter's perspective, it's like there's changeups and then there's different level changeups for me from a right-hander. And in our day, there weren't many righty on righty changeups. That just wasn't, you know, guys That's that funny. have a split or breaking yeah. ball, but, but 
nowadays it's common to go ready on ready changeup. I'm glad they didn't do it in my era because that's another pitch I didn't have to worry about. But the guy and probably the best guy to ever throw it did go ready on ready, and that was Trevor Hoffman. Yeah. And I know we knew it was coming. We'd sit on well, first of all, the hitter, our 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 biggest fear is being absolutely embarrassed in the batter's box. And that's swinging and missing one of your pitches by a foot and a half. Not only does it is it embarrassing, but it throws off our confidence mid at bat. Like I can't do that again. <laughs> so that's the fear factor. The fear factor is all right, Hoffy's got this bugs bunny in his back pocket. First and foremost, do not let let him humiliate you and miss it by two feet. That's when he'd zip in 91 fastball on the outside corner, strike one, because I'm so worried about being embarrassed. By the end of my career, I just sat there, you know, and I think Hoffy, I might've got two hits off Hoffy my entire career. I did take him deep and I let him know whenever, whenever he's willing to listen. But I fit, I spent all my time, you know, Hell's Bells is playing and he's coming into the game. I, I spent all my time thinking, don't let him embarrass you with that changeup. If I got the changeup, it was 50-50 that I was going to hit it, let it alone do some damage with it. So why am I looking for something that really has a low probability of me hitting anyway? And then I got to, no, take your chances on the fastball. Hopefully he tries to sneak one by you and you get it instead of worrying about getting embarrassed by that changeup but yeah there's certain it's just i don't know what it is if it's if it's the arm motion it's so it's just as good as the fastball motion if the, it's got an extra hump it, it seemed to me like a tommy glavin had a little bit extra than just a changeup it's like it would never get there you know you face a lot of lefties yeah. that have good changeup but then there's that exceptional one it seemed to me like glavin had that little bit above the rest what everybody else was throwing and trevor on the right hand side for me that's funny. I uh, I picked it up in like year eight. I needed something to defend myself behind in the count, and yeah. never under never understood or had the memo that I couldn't throw it to righties because I'm like, why? That's just stupid. I was trying to I was trying to figure out how to throw it inside the righties because I'm like going, I pitch fastballs in there so much. If I if I get this change up, middle half in, you're gonna get the bat started going. No, nobody's gonna throw me a change up in. I was like, I'm going to get right. swings and misses on that. Um, yeah, but I think of Hoffman. I remember we were, I was with the Dodgers at the end of my career, and I'm in the dugout. I had pitched or whatever. Hoffman comes in, and everybody's like, okay, he's doing this on his changeup. He's doing this on his fastball. And I was like, sweet. He's tipping his pitches. We got him. Three up, three down. Take a hike, a couple of weak ground balls. I'm going, really? You got, yeah. we, we got the middle of the lineup, and you know when he's throwing a changeup, and you're still rolling over it. Yeah, but to to listen to you tell me that that you don't like to be embarrassed throws me. I just sit there and I'm I'm watching guys and the hitters have so diminished the value of the strikeout as as a hitter. You know, they just go walking back and sit out and don't think anything about it. I always looked at it like you're going to remember that the next time I see you. Oh. You're not kidding. I don't know how they do it, Oli. I don't know if they just play it off well with their body language and they really care, but they're hiding it. I wouldn't be good enough at hiding it. it like, you strike me out time after time. It, it starts to get to a point where 
it's affecting my daily life. Like I'm, I've got a twitch that I'm developing and it seems like you're right. Today's game. It's like, Oh, no big deal. You strike yeah. out with a runner on third and less than two outs. I can't sleep that night. I can deal with an O for four. I can deal with some bad at bats because hitting's really hard. Yeah. But leaving a runner out there, the little things, they drive me crazy. Sorry. I just go ahead. Oh, I just sat there and I was like, when I was facing you early on before I got hurt, I was like, I'm I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to want you to remember this the next time I see you. If it's tomorrow night, and it might be, because you're batting in the top of the lineup and every night I'm facing one, two, three, two, three, four, three, four, five. So I'm seeing all the same guys every night. I'm like, I want to embarrass you so that when you come up tomorrow night, it's going to be in your head that I just did this to you last night. Oh, crap. I don't want that to happen again, just as you said. And I was like, I took great pride in trying to strike guys out and make them look really bad. Right. I wanted I wanted that memory the next night or the next time I saw you when you're walking into the box and you're kind of like, ah, I don't want to do this. You know, it's, an, of being edge. Up there going, it's an edge. It's yeah. an edge. Yeah. Instead that, of going up there going, count. I want to be, I want to be a hero tonight. I want to, you know, I want to win the game tonight. And here comes Olsen and, and I'm fine with that. You know, I wanted to be like, oh man, this was bad last night. And here we go again. Right. E- even, and, and as hitters, if I have a good at bat, you know, if I, if I face it a Greg Olson in his prime and, and he's one of the best closers in the game, uh, I, I'm a realist, you know, the, 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 the dominant closers, the Mariano Rivera's, the Hoffman's it's like, all right, as long as I have a good at bat, that's a win. I, I I'm not going to get a hit no matter who it is off everybody, every time. But if I can have a quality at bat, that yeah. puts good vibes for the next time. I got a chance. I If I can go up against only have a good AB, I might get a hit this time. I might not, but I had a good AB. He knows I got a chance. He knows it. Yeah. I know it. And that sets up the next at bat. The next time we tangle, you know, and I know. That's why I thought it was so important uh, against just a random starting pitcher. You know, first at bat of the series, fastball away, base hit. I don't need to hit a home run. I don't need to hit a double in the gap. I just need to take a well-located fastball away and have a nice base hit the other way. All of a sudden, the first thing that's going through your mind as a pitcher is, that was well-located, and he just acted like that was no big deal. I've already got you thinking. I've got everybody thinking. That's the whole thing in this pitcher-hitter matchup that we we go through. It's a freaking chess match, and it's a mental, uh, you know, pretzel. That's all we're thinking about is, you know what I did last time, or it could be reversed. It's like, you know what I did to you last time. And it's like, I remember when I was going bad, Ole, I would try to just, I, I, I'd take that last breath, leave it the on deck circle. All right. I know I'm one for my last 13, but I'm going to have this body language <laughs> that's going to tell him I'm really confident. And it seemed like that's every awesome. time I was like that, I couldn't trick you. It's like you're sitting out there going, I know you're one for your last 16 and you got no chance. <laughs> and I'm, I know that. So I'm probably going to paint this first pitch away and it's going to be paint and I'm going to be ahead in the count. And that's the way it goes. And when you're pitching and you're struggling, you make a good pitch and it's ball one. When you're pitching good, it's strike one. Yeah, no, that's absolutely it. it it's it's hard to describe the game that is our matchup. It really is so much fun looking back at it, not while I was in it, 
but it was just it was it was a constant chess mess and then you know i faced you last night now i'm facing you again all right i started you with this are you going to look for that or do i need to do something different that's just on pitch one and then it's like all right pitch two i got i'm in a one oh count and last night i was ahead but i can probably go here is that safe you know because my, my whole thing was where can i go that's safe that you you won't take me deep you know in my my ninth inning there's little wiggle room and so i'm like where can i go that's safe and get back into this count and you're constantly playing this cycle of okay we did this last night or or the last at bat or i know where i can go you know my my thing like i said was where can i go when it's safe when in a 1-0 count can i go down in a way and you'll give me that or will you dive out and try to do something with it and then that opens up the inside part of the plate and we're playing this back and forth game of all the at bats we've done how have i gotten you out when can i get there you know is it an automatic hole that if i throw this curveball down in the zone you're dead um you know that was that was my whole thought and it was it was a blast because i'm out there thinking the whole time going okay what happened last time that dink dink okay yeah i can go here all right and that was the pitch and then it's like move on to the next pitch and and it even goes one farther for the hitter i mean it was like okay he knows what i did against him last time he's been watching this series he knows if i'm doing well doing or i'm having a tough time but also, I've got to hit. It depends. It could be a certain catcher in the league that's really thinking with me, that watches my body language, watches how I take a pitch. Yeah. Uh, Jason Veritek used to. I, I took a pitch with the bases loaded in Boston. I took a fastball right down the middle because I was looking for a breaking ball. I thought there's no way he's coming to me with a first pitch heater down the middle. Forget who it was. I take it, and I kind of fake take it because I'm sitting dead breaking ball. And I remember Veritek kind of raising his mask up, looking at me and go, guess you weren't looking for that one, Booney. Now, all of a sudden, my, no, my it's, it's right. <laughs> it's like that whole plan I have. Now I got to deal not only with you, the pitcher, what you're going to throw, but now me and him have got our side game going. Do I need to yeah. change my approach? And that's the the awesome part of baseball that I love talking and that I miss the most. Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, because <laughs> once the catcher turns and says that to you, oh, it's like, oh, it's... he knows exactly what I'm trying to do. Right. Now do, it, now do I do I? Yeah. And then you then you start doing the mental gymnastics of going, all right, do I stay on my program or do I switch? Because he said that. And is he assuming is he going to switch? Is he yeah, he's assuming I'm going to switch because he said that, and you're playing those games. I was doing the same thing on the mound, going, "All right, he just took that pitch. Why? Why? What? What are you doing?" And then you go, "All right, well, he's probably looking for this. So then, do I throw that, or do I just give it to him and see if he can hit it? Huh? Yeah, that's that's the fun part. I did. Oh man, that's that's really good. The catcher giving you a little bit of that. All right, we're jumping all over here, but all right, key to the. Orioles in the AL East uh, 2024 season from a position player, from a hitters type, what needs to click for this team to do what, or or do essentially what they did a year ago? Well, you got Henderson's going to continue. You assume Rushman's going to continue. And, the you know, as we talked about, you assume that they're going to continue to, to grow and evolve. Um, 
I think you he lose got Frazier. Shot. You lose Frazier, the second baseman, who was a veteran guy, probably had some some sway in that locker room because of his yeah. his travels. I, I liked him. I really did. And uh, he brought a stabilizing influence. He put together some really good at-bats when they needed them. Um, I think the key for me probably is going to be Santander out and right. Is he going to continue to, you know, put the home runs in the RBIs and bat lead off? And then Mullins, you know, Mullins has been a rock star for the last couple of years. And then last year wasn't Hit quite 30. Yeah. Right. Wasn't quite, but he was still a great, you know, great center field presence. Um, those would be my two keys, probably. You know, if if Mullins gets back into the form of a couple of years ago, and Santander keeps doing what he's doing, and then you throw Rushman and Gunner up at the top of the lineup, it's 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 got a chance to be pretty good. How's the back with with the exception of the Bautista or the Kimbrel option now until Bautista gets back? How do you look at that that bullpen as far as stacking up with with the rest of the league? I think it. I mean, if if you put Kimbrel in there and he's throwing well, you got Cano in the eighth, uh, and then you got a little bit of a mix and match thing with Cologne, uh Perez, left-handers coming out of the pen. Um, I, I I think they got a chance to be as good as they were last year. But I mean, Batista, Batista and uh, Cano and Batista were unbelievable eighth, ninth inning where they weren't blowing anything and they weren't giving up runs. And Cano had a run of not walking or giving up a hit for like 18 innings. It was, it was beyond stupid. And so hard to duplicate, you know, back end with the stress and, and a major league hitter in the box that's wanting to take care of things. It's hard to sit there and go, yeah, you know what? I can throw up a one six ERA again this year. That'll be easy. That ain't that easy. So, if they're if they're stable and and they got the pieces in the you know sixth seventh inning spots and and assuming a couple of the guys you know Kramer Rodriguez grow up a little bit more it, it could be fairly fun to watch. Turning to another goofy subject. Oh, I like watching. I don't have I don't have the uh, what is, what what am I looking for here? I don't have the game that you have, but I watch you on Twitter. And it cracks me up. You have these dialogues. You'll have people chiming in. And then and then you'll give them. You're never rude. You're never dropping F-bombs or anything like that. But you're subtly kind of edging them along like, oh, I forgot you You played in the big leagues for 20 years. And, and it's that subtle back and forth. But I always see Ole stirring it up a little bit. A little bit. Tell me, yeah. do you enjoy Do you enjoy get going back and forth with people on Twitter and do you have accounts that you go to that that are your regulars, like your go-to accounts? Uh, I got some guys I, I, I watch on Twitter, but you know, for the most part, it'll be, you know, like Jeff Fry will throw something on there. He, he's, he throws a lot on there about the gurus oh, about and the hitting and, and the teacher yeah. man. He, he's always yeah. arguing with him. All right. Yeah. So I'll end up getting you know some some feedback down on something somebody's doing, and I'll say something, and then. It'll devolve into somebody will tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm old. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then the the clubhouse part of me comes out and I, I throw a grenade. Um, a lot of times I don't. I'm not sure if they know it's a grenade until everybody starts chiming in. But um, I try not to be too rude. But every once in a while, when a couple of the guys, certified pitching instructors, tell me that I didn't throw my curveball right, I'm like okay. 
well, what do you got? Show me. Show me a video. I can still spin one if you want, and I'm old. But if you want to show me a video of you throwing this curveball that I'm not throwing right and how you would throw it, have at it. But uh, it's fun. I, I, I really I do enjoy the people wanting to honestly learn something and the conversations you have about what, you know, baseball is. I try not to do what, you know, how good our game was. But um, it's a blast. It really is. Are you are you are you lurking, Booney? Oh, I lurk. Yeah. I, like, well, I'm going to send this to you and 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 when when the podcast comes out. So then you can make note of it. Yeah, I lurk and occasionally you'll see me. I might drop a like in a, in a lot of, you know, when there's a lot of banter going on, I just sneakily sneak in there, but yeah, I'm lurking. I don't, I don't have much to say. I get, I get a couple guys that'll chime in on my thing and it'll be like Todd Pratt or, you know, right. A couple Glendon rush. I'll, I'll, I'll get like six or seven major league guys that something will get stirred up and, and, they'll start chiming in and all I'll just do is going and another major leaguer agrees with me and, and right. just kind of leave it at that. So if I see Booney lurking, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a, throw a little arrow yeah, your way and put one out there. I, I, I'll, 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 get, I'll come up with something. Um, the end of the day, you mentioned you, you got hurt in 93, you played for a lot of teams, but at the end of the day, you're an Oriole, you're the all time save leader. Uh, you're in their hall of fame. The city of Baltimore, um, the history of Baltimore Oriole baseball, is it good to see that city liven up with last year and, and the current success that they're having? Is that, for, for, a, for an Oriole Hall of Famer, is it pretty cool to see that, that city have a little life and people actually talking about the Orioles and actually being legitimate instead of, oh, it's another basement dwelling season it was it was great to see last year the attendance came back to like it was in the in the 90s of, of where the house was full almost every night the fans were great um after covid you know downtown baltimore's gotten on the rough side and you know in and around the ballpark is not what it once was and i'm hoping that with the team the the inner harbor area the downtown area will start to to come back to life like it was you know when it initially came in in, in like 92 with the uh, camden yards but it's you know the, the fans deserve it they're great fans they show up when you put together a good product on the field and um it, it was a lot of fun it was it was hard when the team was struggling and and nobody's in the, you know nobody's in the crowd this was hard to watch well, Ole, I appreciate you coming on the Boone yeah, Podcast today. It's been a lot of My fun pleasure. catching up. For those of you watching the Boone Podcast, we're now on YouTube. Uh, but for those of you listening, I appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Booty.